Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thank you for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother Ryan Eaney, and of course, our namesake, the venerable D Love. Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. So, guys, we are live. We have put ourselves into the podcast listening world. <laughs> We've made our debut. It's the real thing now. And we've now, since we've gone live, we've actually built a little bit of a fan base. <laughs> so I no longer have to reference our fictional Twitter fan base. Greg from Sherwood, thank you. <laughs> We're gonna keep Bob from Sherwood still in the game, and he's he's a he's a very loyal fan to the end. But we've gotten some good feedback, some nice high praise from folks, mostly friends, but uh, we appreciate it. But it's not all sunshine and lollipops. There's always gonna be some critics out there. Uh, one critic in particular, well, the only critic who. Uh, soon to be a former friend of mine. I won't say his full name, but first name Scott. I'll come back to that in a second. But I was called out by him in just a actual uh, chat thread that uh, I mispronounced the Timberwolves. Hopefully I got it that time. And that I was too hard on Trevor Ariza. So I'd like to respond to the critics. And this is the only time I'm planning on responding to the critics because I don't want to set a precedent for giving the critics time of day. <laughs> don't belittle yourself. <laughs> but starting with the Timberwolves pronunciation, first of all, there's more where that came from. Just get used <laughs> to that. That's all I'm going to say on that one. As far as Ariza, I know I was tough on him. I think I did call him a traitor for not being a part of the bubble. Ryan, you pointed out that he was just trying to spend time with his young son related to an ongoing custody dispute, which I was not buying, still am not buying, but that's neither here nor there. Oh. <laughs> but look, I, I'm not, with Ariza, we appreciate his contributions. I'm not saying he's in the category of a Benedict Arnold or, or a Judas, but he definitely would be number three. No. <laughs> But anyhow, I do want to say quickly to Scott, I only gave your first name. If I hear any more critiques, I'm giving the full last name. I'm giving your full name, excuse me. And your life as you knew it will never be the same. But anyway, guys, we have uh, this is a this is our free agent special edition tonight. And before we get into the happenings, everything that's going on with the signings, I want us to go through, since we always kind of start with the past before we go into the present, I want to do some, I want to grade some GMs. Obviously you can tell, I don't like to be on the end of any criticism, but I'm fine with dishing out some criticism. So <laughs> I've got some GMs here that we'll go over. We'll see where this takes us, but basically we're going to give a grade. You can break down whether it's their draft history or the free agent history. I've thrown in a couple of good ones here with, uh, with uh, I think a couple bad ones, but we're gonna start with 
I know this is random because I have not given you guys the questions ahead of time. Rick Pitino, Boston Celtics, coach <laughs> slash GL. He was calling all the shots, I think we can say. How would you grade Rick Pitino, who's had kind of a rough last, I think, 25 years uh, period of time, with the exception of winning the national title with Louisville some eight years ago or so, seven, eight years ago? The, were those banners taken back? Rick Pitino. You know, I, I can start with that one. I, I, uh, I mean, Patino is obviously, you know, one of the worst GMs <laughs> in the, uh, in the recent history and combined with having the biggest victim mentality of any GM in recent history. Yes. I guess it's one of those things where you get expect your expectations up. Um, you think you're going to get Tim Duncan and you end up with Chauncey Billups and Ron Mercer. Excuse me. It's a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a letdown. Um, but I know he's he's uh, you know he's famous for his comment. I believe it was you know Larry Burr's not coming through that door and Bill Russell's not coming through that door. Parish, <laughs> Parish isn't coming through that door. Um, and I think I think it's Amino Hassan from ESPN who has a Patino game bit on on uh, Twitter whenever whenever anyone leaves <laughs> people call out the most random it's like Sedale three is not coming through that door <laughs> for the Lakers um, so yeah he, he's definitely on the on the low end and I and I think he really um, struggled and I think it's the classic thing we've talked about where when you have a coach and a GM together it's rare it's rare that rare that it's worked in the NBA I think there is exceptions um, Obviously, like you know, Riley and a few others who've had that power when they were coaching, but that's where I go with Patino. What about you, Michael? I think the dual role is something you can't you you can't pull apart. It's it's an impossible analysis to do one without the other. But you can't get past a coach who comes in thinks he's getting Duncan, but ultimately it drafts a guy like Phillips at three, and you know I think it was six to eight months into it. Phillips time with the Celtics and ultimately trades him uh, in that rookie year. Uh, obviously the track record for traded rookies is always an interesting one. Uh, first comes to mind, a more recent version was uh, Thomas Robinson, T Rob picked a click. And he was a guy that uh, you were always a little curious what was going to happen. So when I think looking back, a guy like Phillips who has the lottery pedigree gets traded, uh, you're kind of curious. Uh, I think, the coaching component for him, which is challenging, is if I recall, he was he wanted to press uh, for the majorities of games, which uh, anytime you're trying to convince grown men making millions of dollars to uh, play that type of defense for that length of a game, uh, it's going to end poorly. So uh, I, I don't know if I want to give him an F, but it's something close to that. So as you mentioned that, Michael, I, I had a, a flashback to – Patino's debut as coach of the Celtics, they actually hosted, you can fact check this, but they hosted the Bulls after coming off the title and they beat the Bulls at home with um, an unimpressive roster. So the Patino, the Patino reign started out great and it was all downhill, I think, from after <laughs> that game. But Billups, yeah, in hindsight, it actually looks, looks a lot better. Mercer... Not so much, but you have to have some compassion for what happened with 
Tim Duncan. I appreciate his honesty. He was like, I never would have, I never would have taken, <laughs> taken the job. The job exactly. I don't care if they would have paid me 200 million instead of a hundred million <laughs> or I'm sure it was 70 million, whatever it was. But, but they did, they did get Paul Pierce uh, kind of fell into their lap. I think either the next year. Yeah. 98. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, at that point, probably had no choice but to take Pierce, but overall, yeah, it was not, it was not working out well for him. And that was the breaking point. The whole Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish are not walking through that door. So I actually, I, I like Petito. I, I think he has had some unfortunate, some self-imposed things that have happened to him, but you know, overall, a very interesting and, and successful career. Well, it's cra- It's crazy that he's actually, I mean, you, one thing about Patino is that it's just a reminder that a lot of these guys are lifers and they know nothing beyond basketball. I mean, Patino was famous for horse racing, and he seemed to be someone who he was like motivational speaker, obviously before some of his more foibles that have come out the last decade. But he's the coach of Iona, or is it Iona? Like he's so he he Iona. coached in the Greek league, and then he went to Iona, and it's like he's just not gonna. It's just it's just this relentless. It's just you know he can't he can't stop. I mean I think it speaks to some degree that he loves basketball, but it's also a little it's a little scary. You know? And I will say though, Michael, on the pressing thing, I totally agree. It, it made no sense from like a cultural approach. It didn't it didn't work. And he dropped it, I think like halfway through his first season. So I think you're totally right. I do think like I remember Malcolm Gladwell made the point a while back, maybe on Grantland when that was still ongoing that. You know, why doesn't – this is a question for both of you. Why doesn't a team take their bench, like take their 8 through 12 guys, or I guess the roster is 15 now, like take the 11 through 15 guys who are – like the guys who show up two hours early to like get a workout in before the game every time because they're never going to play. And just for a certain portion of like each game, like put them in and just go crazy for like go kamikaze kids. You know, I don't know if that's – a Maybe inappropriate comment. Like, that's what, you know, the Oregon Ducks back in the day, like, just go crazy, dive on the loose floor, go for everything. Again, culturally, you can never get anyone to buy into it. But do you think that if you could, do you think that would be effective? Like, if it was just five or six minutes, you know, each half, where, you know, or I guess five minutes total in the game where it was just mayhem, full court, all out. Like, what, what, what do you guys take on that? Quick duck reference Ernie Kent, Kamikaze Kid. Sorry, Michael, I had to jump in with that. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> Go Ducks. Uh, I I think you do something like that to to increase the variability in a game. And and frankly, there's to me much better ways to increase the variability in a basketball game than doing something like that defensively, particularly at the level as high uh, and as skilled as the NBA. I mean, I think anytime you're on a press, you're trying to insert a degree of variability uh, where your hope is that the offense can't respond. Uh, in a quality way and, and I think when you're playing against guards and particularly ball handlers uh, in this echelon it's just you're not going to have as much advantage now I think there's something that does exist there but I you know I'd rather put out five shooters and do like the Reno Bighorns and just shoot the crap out of the ball for six minutes and kind of see what happens versus something like pressing the whole time well then why, why not just try it why not experiment it's a, it's a really interesting idea getting fresh bodies out there and, and just going hard for four or five minutes or whatever. I, I think it's a, I, I would be really impressed with whoever is the first coach that is willing to do that. <laughs> I would be fairly right. impressed with And why not? It's been like, be there. 
if you've been eliminated from the playoffs or something, or if you're the Wizards and you know that, you know, starting when the season starts, you're not going to have much of a, of a shot at anything. So why not? I guess I, actually that number eight seed in the East is always viable, but, but still, why not? Why not do it? Well, it's a good, it's a good question. Like, you know, to get a coach to actually do it. Cause if Sam Hinkie, didn't come didn't want to try the idea and couldn't convince or couldn't convince Brett Brown to do it then I don't know if any <laughs> NBA coach is ever going to do it I, I will say part of my interest in this idea and why it resonates with me is I was you know my, my basketball career ended in high school and I was the um the slowest point guard in the lower lower 48 states uh and I was playing in high school and so when someone would come up and guard me full court which happened a lot because I was on the slower side and just would work kind of make me work against them every time that does add up over time. And I know like, Michael's point, like the ball handlers, like Chris Paul, it's like, give me a break. But you see someone like Jamal Murray, who is like, you could see how during the playoffs he started to wear down. He was take he had play 40, 45 minutes in the playoffs. Like if you even just had your, had a guard in there, that's just like, we're going to just make him turn back and forth the whole the way up the court. Like that does add up over time. Um, it, again, this is all qualitative. You know, I think it'd be interesting to see the numbers, but you see players like Danny Green, other players sometimes try and do that. And uh, I never understood, especially at lower levels, the NBA is obviously a different type of game, but where they just don't do that to the point guard every time, because I think it just, it just kind of gets you, gets you off, you know, especially if you have a quick enough defender. So. I would say there is one coach out there, former coach, who would be willing to try this experiment. Paul Westhead, <laughs> the, the guy who started his career leading the 81 Lakers to the championship, driven out of town by Magic Johnson, and not too long ago was the head basketball coach for the Oregon women's basketball team, which was really cool for uh, us Duck alum just to be able to have that's true though he'd be the guy he he would be the guy he would do he would have done he'd be like sure like like he would have done it. i mean did he do it i mean but when he coached the nuggets <laughs> did he do it with the nuggets when he had he had them post well, we'll, have to, we'll have to double roster. check that we'll have to fact the whole check roster that was an eight to 12 roster right i think so that's, <laughs> well, that's why you do it right i mean you do you, yeah, you do it to lose yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. What a what a fall for grace that for that guy. He Paul Westhead was Paul Westhead was the original. You don't cross a superstar. That was the first, yeah. <laughs> the first line. He wins the title. He's got Magic Johnson at twenty one years old. He's got Kareem in his prime, and he just gets he gets sayonara just because <laughs> Magic couldn't stand him. <laughs> He's like him or me. It's like you never want the the the, the guy to be him or me. You 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 want to have the newspaper thank you saying you complete me like Maury and Harden you don't you don't want to have him x you out yeah and also when your star happens to be like best friends with the owner at the same time too that doesn't <laughs> right. help your cause That's right. so you want to establish those relationships I am reading the Showtime book and it is a fascinating oh story. the Perlman book yeah yeah it's, it's on my list but uh yeah recommend it to anyone out there well guys we started at Patino and we ended with Paul Westhead I I had a feeling that on each one of these, we could go for a while. So we'll probably maybe just do one more because I know we have some current free agent discussions to get into. But I'm gonna I'm gonna actually stick with the Celtics as we've already referenced him as one of those people that wouldn't be walking through the door anytime in the Patino era. Kevin McHale is a GM. <laughs> be nice. That's a, I mean it's appropriate, right? Because with the whole Bogdanovich fiasco for the 
the Bucks. I mean, it's brought to mind the Joe Smith, you know, double cross or what was it again? You know, it was like wink, wink, nod, nod, whatever you, however you want to refer to it. I mean, they lost five first round picks because of how they, you know, evaded the salary cap. Ouch. And you always wondered, why did you do it over Joe Smith? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you're going to cheat, it's, it's like these all these all these college coaches that are getting that are going to get getting caught on tape. It's like on HBO how they've how they're like, hey, can we get that guy? How much is that going to cost? And they still have their jobs. It's like at least go after the best. At least it's Zion Williamson. Like give give it a run. <laughs> like, but if you're going to offer this money to these guys, and it's Joe Smith, man. I mean, he was a great great college player. I mean, he was the number one pick. But you know, like that, that was just that was just crazy. So I I think. You know, he he lasted a long time in Minnesota. He was a Minnesota just legend, obviously playing in college there. And he just seems like a great guy. Like he seems like he's a he's a great announcer, in my opinion. He, you know, has coached the Rockets at a high level for a while. Um, but he and he, but he could only build that one team really around KG, you know, when they had Spreewell and they had Cassell, but it was so short lived. Um and they had KG and then I mean, assuming his reign, he was there the whole time. I mean, that trade when I mean, you think about that last thing I said, that what if of trading Ray Allen for Marbury, you know, which Marbury was, you know, was really, really well respected at that point, and he had some great early seasons until he wanted to get out of there. But can you imagine Ray Allen and KG at the beginning? I mean, we saw them at the end, but at the beginning, that would be amazing. But yeah, he's he's definitely. I don't know if he's at the Patino level, but he's definitely down there. You're definitely starting with the dregs, D. Um, <laughs> I don't know who's next, but what do you what do you think, Michael? Well, I think the ironic part, D, is that Kevin McHale, I think, probably was a better Celtics GM than Patino was. So, <laughs> I think given that 08 trade where he he accepted the poo poo platter for the greatest player in the history of the Timberwolves franchise, uh, you know, Al Jeff and Gerald Green and the whole mix. Um, you know, I think it's hard to, to look too aggressively on his history with the Timberwolves when ultimately his, uh, kind of the, 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 the person who replaced him was David Kahn, who lives in infamy based on that 09 Curry draft, uh, going back to back with point guards, uh, which we've now again, come full circle on even more with Rubio coming back to Minnesota. So bring back uh, Flynn, bring back Johnny. Flynn, yeah. I think <laughs> Flynn might be. Uh, maybe Rosas can bring him back in from uh, Turkey or wherever he is right now. Uh, so, you know, Mikhail is, I, I think that is the best. What if is, is that Ray trade early on. Um, and really, I mean, the Joe Smith under the table stuff was such a problem in terms of crippling their ability to do anything creative going forward with KG. I mean, it, it put sort of a stink on KG's career until he was able to get to Boston and really change the narrative. So, um, that's a good one though. Okay. This is a tangent, but I just can't hear Dave Ocon without referencing this. But did you guys know that he used to host a local Blazers talk show in the early nineties? He was an Oregonian sports writer. Okay. You did, yeah. I, I figured you'd know the best. He, no, he wrote for the Oregonian and then he, I think he was in, he like, I think he might've worked at NBC sports, but then he actually went to law school. Um, and then he got in with the Pacers at that point. And was sort of like a legal basketball guy for them, I believe. Um, but then he was—it was like so ran. When he got the T Wolves job, it just didn't really make sense because he, at that point, he was like owning or running like 
minor league baseball franchises or like D league. He was like in the D league. He had like D league franchise. He had this, he was one of the, you see these guys around sports uh, where sports business, where they kind of are like kind of in and around trying to make moves and do stuff. I just don't know how the, the Glenn Taylor found him. Like it was so he went, he was in Indiana for a long time, but it, it just, it just didn't make any, any sense. But yeah, he started in Portland as a, Ink stain wretch, really, you know, <laughs> right for the Oregonian covering the Blazers. But that's crazy. there must have been some genius behind the scenes that knew how to network and work his way into it. He probably had this master plan for a long time that he was well, no, heard as a. <laughs> no, it's a fair point. And I, I think this is part of it. This is also hits on like this, the diversity question as well, right? For like, why do we have this league predominantly black players? And they're not represented in particularly in positions of power within within the organizations. Right. I mean, and coaching, I mean, more coaches than general managers, but, you know, still not represented in a way that's consistent with like the, the player group. And I, I think it's about who these owners feel comfortable with, really. You know, like why would Glenn? Yeah. David Kahn could convince Glenn. All you have to do is convince one person yeah. that, you know, what you're doing. It, that's all you have to be able to do and build that relationship with them and manage up to them and convince them that what you're doing is is right. Because, you know, it's like when Reinsdorf was describing Krauss in the in the last dance. And it was, you know, yeah, Jerry, he he just he knew we had to tear it down. We had to tear it down in 90. You know, we we brought him back in 97. But, you know, we knew in 98 it was time to tear it all down. And, and Jerry, Jerry knew it. He was, you know, it's like. It's like the owners like take their brains and like put them to the side and just like trust these guys. And it's it's a little bit, you know, like they've come into town and they kind of can kind of, you know, sort of convince these guys of their, you know, their wherewithal to make these decisions. And they're really not capable. And I do think that's you know, it, it, it's, it's those type of guys that get in and you're like, how does David, like you're saying, how does David Kahn become a general manager and be one of these 30 guys running teams? And then there's only a handful of, of black decision makers right now. Like, and I think it's because Glenn Taylor feels not to pick on him, but the ownership group is predominantly white men and they feel comfortable with a certain type of person, even if they're not, it's not about their qualifications because there was definitely people more qualified than Khan at that, at that point. It's like the uh, the Saul Goodman. I, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. But sometimes if you just know the guy, like you said, just the right relationship. <laughs> no, that's what does it. Yeah, it just takes one. And I think you see it even in some of the people. If you watch who the, the people are that work their way up, it's they either they, they just they build the relationship with some of the key people. And even even Daryl Morey, you know, you know, I remember going to the Sloan conference that he started like 10 years ago and he was talking to people about. Hey, everyone wants to get in the league and you know and my advice to them is go to china and be like the fifth person on the nba china team or go become an uh, unpaid assistant coach for a d league or g league team in north dakota and it was all this like you got to just want it because it's a it's there's so much demand for it but of course for him he didn't do that he was the he worked yeah. at an investment bank that then consulted and, and worked with the ownership group that bought the Celtics. And then they told Ainge like, Hey, we have this guy, he's super smart and he wants to be in basketball, like give him a job. And so, you know, he built that relationship and he can talk to those types of guys that have that thing. And it's just, it's just a different, it's a different dynamic. Yeah. 
Well said. Uh, and I know I only, do, like you said, doing the dregs here, but uh, we'll, we'll skip the last one. I was actually going to move to Jerry West next just to get the full spectrum of both the bottom versus the top. I think we could all give Jerry West an A. Yeah, he, I mean, he's the, he's, he's the best. And I think it's a, you know, maybe a conversation for another time. But, you know, I, I think he, he and Curry, to me, are the two main reasons. Curry is by far number one. But the number two uh, reason for the Golden State success, I really believe, is Jerry West above Kerr. And I think you have to give Jake Joe Lacob or his credit for and the ownership group for hiring him and bringing him in and, and doing that. Um, so you give him that credit. I think if, I give Draymond credit for getting Durant to come because that was I think that was a lot of Draymond. That was really impressive. So there's there's it takes it takes a village. But Jerry West, you know, and again, and, and I don't think it's just because he like works the press and they always give him credit on everything. But like he was against the clay trade for Kevin Love. He he helped seal Durant. He was pushing for Draymond. Like if you go down the line, it's like he has he has like the best eye. He has the best judgment for talent of I think anyone, you know, and his ability to see Kobe right at that time. When if you read um there's a great book about by Jonathan Abrams about that group of high school to pro players like Kobe and KG and everything and it's, and it's just like people did not know what to do with Kobe I mean they it was so early I mean Garnett was the year before so it was really early in the, the most recent crop of those guys coming out and and he knew like Jerry West knew and he didn't know you know he knew because he traded Vladi Divac who was good like a good player like a legit starting center borderline all-star player for the 13th pick to get him not even like the, he, he he like but he knew he knew what he needed to do and get him so I I, I put Jerry West's He's the best. He's the best. He also has the judgment to not mock Kevin Durant at the championship parade, which, you know, can never really end well. I think that <laughs> Bob Myers is at the bottom of that list for uh, Warriors success, I think. Well, that's why I'm fascinated by the with the, with the Wiseman pick cuz I'm 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 like what would Jerry do? Like who would he pick? Who does he like? I mean, cuz literally he goes to the Clippers and I don't think it's a it's a coincidence that they immediately start making moves you know I, and i think it's always hard for people like i think it was hard for bob myers it was hard for kerr it was hard for lakeup because jerry west is like the godfather he just it's like jerry you know, effing west yeah it's like it's like when you know in the godfather when they when the guys go to tom hagan and they're like hey can you talk can you talk to you know the Godfather, can you get, can you, it, oh, Mike's the Godfather now, you got to go to him, you know, and they're like, wait, they're, you know, it's, 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 that's Wes, and he comes in, and it's against the Lakers credit, he brought him in, but if you read Jack McMullen's book, McMullen's book about Jerry West and the Golden State, he, he really ran him off at the end, and he goes to the Clippers, and I'm not saying he got them Kawhi or Paul George, but that Tobias Harris trade you know, and then the, the the Blake trade and the Tobias Harris trade are like Jerry West to a T, hmm. which is the marketing folks are telling Blake, oh, you're going to be our guy, your uniforms in the rafters, like resign. And within a year, Jerry's like, this guy is not the guy. We got to get rid of this guy. And that got them in a place to do it. And, you know, it's it's. It's interesting. I, I just don't understand. Like the fact that the Lakers didn't go to the playoffs for like six or seven straight years 
and Jerry West was like available and they didn't just call him and say like, I know there's a lot of bad blood and history and drama. Maybe you'll, maybe the Pearl Blue book talks about it, but you know, I could go on and on about Jerry West, as you can yeah. tell. So I'll stop there, but it's, a, we can just keep talking about him another time. But sometimes, you know, these things, they, they pan out the way you don't think they are, or it's, it's the unexpected one. Like we all thought it was going to be Sonny Corleone. That would be the, the, the right, player. Right. Right. but no, it was Michael. He was the right one all along. Yeah, that's right. And well, I won't mention what happened to Sonny, but we all know that story. <laughs> I do remember. In spoiler the alert. Seventies show- <laughs> <laughs> movie, best picture, spoiler alert. I do remember in the Showtime book, there was something about how Jerry had made a bad pick. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was, but it was early eighties. And it was like Jerry like couldn't live with himself for like a year based on what he did. And I think he more than made up for the for whatever bad pick that was after that. Obviously a Hall of Fame resume and the best of the best. I uh, agree with all that. Okay, guys, thank you for that addition. We could go on this for a while. I have a few more names. We'll probably revisit it another time. But we do have some free agent transactions to discuss here. I was going to first transition to what the Philadelphia 76ers did. Bringing in Dwight Howard, which for me, I think it only happened for one reason, is to help Ben Simmons feel better better about his free throw shooting percentage. What do you guys say? <laughs> I think Dwight Howard's going to be uh, be uh, Simmons' free throw coach. He's going to be in there working. Because according to Dwight, he he hits 80% in practice, right? So he's going he's gonna to help. Does help Ben. Uh, no, I, I think it's, I mean, again, I think Daryl Morey, you know, we've talked, we talk about him a lot, you know, and on our, our podcast and I think his ability and I think Doc Rivers, it sounds like has a lot of credit there too, to go out and get someone and you need someone behind Embiid, right? Because like Michael always likes to talk about variants, just like Daryl Morey talks about variants and a down variance is, you know, Embiid getting hurt, which, you know, it's, it's not really happened as much the last couple of years, but still is a possibility. So having him is, is great. I'm surprised that LA, you know, let him go. I know, especially cause he's so cheap, but I guess they went another way, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah. what do you think, Michael? I think it's a, honestly, I think it's an olive branch from Maury to doc rivers and doc doc wants to play a certain way and a certain classical way. And I think Maury's going to be putting, the screws into the rotation in a few other ways with some of the players he's acquiring. I think it's interesting. Build, yeah. Build a different type of team that uh, will hopefully set up the Sixers for, for a high degree of success, I think, in, in for, for their franchise. But uh, getting the guy to back up uh, Embiid is obviously important. And it's, you know, at this point, Dwight Howard is no longer Dwight Howard to me. He's, he's, he's a serviceable backup NBA center, but um, he's not, you know, 09 SVG kind of magic uh, Dwight Howard, obviously. So um, it's, it's an interesting signing, but it'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, it was, it was amazingly sort of in Dwight fashion that he tweeted he right, how he did it. The Lakers I'm coming home. Purple and gold is the only, the only color I have. And uh, summarily had to delete such tweet and move on to Philly. So uh, get some new colors. Well, it's never. I I think Chris Haynes reported that there was a mix-up because it was you know the Lakers floated as a concept and said they had to go back to ownership and get approval 
And then Dwight tweeted, we got a deal, <laughs> we're coming home. And it's just like, Dwight, if they have to say we have to get ownership approval, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a, it's not you, it's me sort of <laughs> feedback, buddy, in the modern world. Like, it's right. called a phone, it's called a phone or a text. You know, it's not, right. <laughs> we got us in a letter to Jeannie Buss and she'll get back to us later. <laughs> Well, guys, I, I'm going to stick by my premise that this was all about helping Ben Simmons feel better about his free throw shooting percentage. But I know we have bigger free agent transactions to talk about than Dwight Howard. So, Michael, do you want to take us away to uh, a bigger free agent signing than or move than Dwight Howard? Certainly, certainly. I want to uh, I want to hear everyone's opinion about what some of their favorite contracts they've seen signed today. Uh, and, and then maybe a contract where their immediate response was WTF. Uh, we were speaking of Jerry West earlier. Uh, Marcus Morris signed for four years, $64 million. And my immediate response was WTF. Uh, that's a contract that is confusing to me. I think particularly in the context of Montrose Harrell signing with the Lakers. Uh, obviously they have some concerns. Uh, the Clippers do in terms of his, uh, defensive capabilities, but that, that is an interesting, uh, kind of flag to plant for me in, in that franchise kind of going forward as they kind of re recreate themselves on the fly uh, in the last year of PG and Kawhi's deals. There's obviously a lot of pressure there to succeed. Uh, my other favorite uh, subplot of, of free agency Friday is uh, the Robin Lopez saga. He opts out of his $5 million player <laughs> option because he doesn't want to go to Sacramento. Uh, he's expected to presumably re-sign in Milwaukee. Uh, and when the Bogdanovich deal falls apart, uh, he has now opted out of a guaranteed $5 million and is ultimately signing with the Washington Wizards. So uh, that that's a funny one to me to see how some of these things go. It reminds me sort of the inverse of Carlos Boozer being let out of his contract in Cleveland and signing with Utah instead of re-signing. Uh, anything specifically, Jeb, out to you guys so far today? I thought, you know, the the Montrez Harrell signing with the Lakers was interesting to me in a number of ways, right? I mean, it was a, it was a relatively lower number and I think, you know, some people commented on some of the big contracts that have gone out to guys who didn't go to the bubble. And then Montrez Harrell goes to the bubble. He's dealing with like personal issues like loss and grief and he's trying to play in a very difficult situation in the bubble and struggles and presumably lost money because of some of his you know his weaknesses were exposed there particularly on the defensive end so it's just it is it was an odd signing to me for the lakers they got him at a, a good price right 219 in a way right relative to some of the other big deals we're going to talk about but it was just it, it just is strange to me that a team that was built so much on defense and then getting out in the break would take someone who struggles defending um you know, and I think Davis will cover some of that, but you know, he, I think he was shown in the bubble, and, and again, it was like the lower ebb for him, and so he could come back from that. But you know, he he has deficiencies in his game; he's limited in some ways, and I think both defensively and you know, even offensively, he just could not get into a flow, and I think he really depended you know on the regular season where he would play with Lou Williams in certain chunks of time 
against benches and really benefit from that, right? Again, this is qualitative. I don't have the second spectrum data to confirm that. But when you when you watched him, he really dominated in those environments. So it's hard for me to see him in a conference finals or finals game next to AD and LeBron and Schroeder. It's it just it doesn't really fit for me in terms of how they played last year and what they're going to do. I mean, he'll be great in the pick and roll. And that helps to get more scoring, but I, I was surprised by that. Um, anything stand out to you, D? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I thought Harold. My initial reaction was that it, it was a good move, only because I feel like there is still a a, sh a shortage of surrounding talent there with uh, the complementary pieces with the Lakers, and to sort of have a guy that can maybe he's more specialized and can just score around the basket, pick and rolls. Like you said, I thought that might add something and would still be, if Davis is willing to play the center, it would still be a step up from, you know, McGee and Howard type type guys. Um, but that, but that's interesting. Um, I think, well, I, I was telling you guys, but I got a text from uh, my former boss who was a Detroit Pistons fan who asked me, he said, uh, should should I care about the Pistons signing Plumley? And my three word response was no, you shouldn't. Um, so uh, yeah, some of these moves, the Morris brothers, I yeah, I, I don't I don't get that. I don't see how those. It feels like they're feeling like that that those are complementary pieces that are going to help them go to the next level for teams. Like when the Clippers added him, it didn't make much sense to me during the regular season. I mean. I, I kind of got it, but I just, it's like, he's not the guy that's going to get you to that next level. So I don't really get that signing. Uh, so, so there are a couple, couple mind boggling things, but. Yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think the Marcus Morris point, I a hundred percent agree with you guys that 464 is, you know, is a lot for him and it just seems out of the water a lot. Right. It was just like crazy. I think part of the dynamic that's going on though is this is one of the downsides of the salary cap structure in the NBA. So if you're a team at the cap or over the cap, you know, you have typically will have rights like they call them bird rights to resign your player, you know, for, you know, a significant amount of money because they're already your player. Uh, but if you let that player go, you're, if you're still at or over the cap, you can't go over the cap to sign a new player. Right. So they might want to get Marcus Morris. They might want to get someone else, you know, rather than Marcus Morris for 464. I'm like 100 percent for sure. But they can't get anyone else. And Marcus Morris knows that and his agent knows that. And this actually brings up the Milwaukee situation because, you know, I think, you know, Ben Thompson, who's strategy, strategy, whatever his newsletter is called, you know, really brilliant tech writer and analyst and also loves Milwaukee Bucks. He pointed out that one of the biggest mistakes with the Brogdon situation last year wasn't just letting him go because you could see how you felt about his game or not. And and substantively, that was probably that was a mistake looking back on it, too. But they didn't keep him and at least one other case. They didn't keep the salary on their books to then be able to move that player and do something with them. So if you let the salary just leave you can't go over the cap and so you have to be willing to keep the player over the cap and i don't think they're gonna be able to trade marcus morris or anyone at that number but that's what's motivating them because it's like they can't replace marcus morris with anybody else hmm. 
And that's a great summary. I think that uh, that summary of this, of what, you know, sort of termed the, the soft cap system of the NBA as opposed to a hard cap system like the NFL, where there's literally no way you exceed the cap number. You have to, you know, make moves to stay under a hard cap, where in the soft cap, there are those ex- uh, those exceptions that allows you to go over it. Now, the, the NBA has a mechanism, and this gets super geeky, and, and I'm the accountant on the pod, so I'll d- delve into this because I think it is a little bit interesting. There's certain exceptions that if you use them, it triggers a hard cap at right. the tax number. And so what the Lakers are doing, and I think in signing Harrell, they're triggering their hard cap, which which means quite literally they have a number they cannot exceed. So oftentimes an exception is signing players to the minimum salaries. Now, if they manage their cap in such a way, they, they, there's a world, there's a realm that exists where they uh, have to carry less guys on their roster because they don't have the salary cap available. I think there were some teams last year that actually had to manage their two-way contracts in a, way, in a very intentional way to reduce the amount of salary hits because they're hard cap constraints. And so uh, because they're using an, the Lakers are using an exception on Harrell, which is the full mid-level instead of the taxpayer mid-level, uh, the result is that they're going to be in a hard cap situation. There's a number of teams, I think, that are doing signing trades that are signing full mid-level guys uh, that are triggering these hard caps. And, and it's not the end of the world, but it certainly has some constraints. I think the Golden, the Warriors remain under this structure for uh, the time being. And it obviously um, hinders some of the flexibility that can come with the traditional soft cap structure. So um, I think you're totally right. And that's why Morris is obviously signing that deal with the leverage he has. I think he gives them some switchability on defense that they do seem to value in the playoffs. Uh, when Zubak's not playing, they can run uh, the, the two – the big two guys out there along with Morris and, and really have some dynamics there. Now didn't help much against the nuggets in the second round. Uh, now what, what another interesting component today, I thought that uh, speaking of the nuggets is they're looking at a, a pretty substantial change in their roster with not only Plumley going to Detroit, but Jeremy Grant also going to Detroit. Now Plumley, uh, <laughs> Plumley, Plumley keeps getting paid. Uh, there's there's some curious that's a curious story there which uh you know most overvalued Plumley, i guess is probably the best way to put it but jeremy grant landing in detroit rumor has it had the same offer uh i read that that is crazy in the Denver. same offer i mean you think they came in late and just said oh yeah no we'll give you the three times 20 to keep you and he's like i already had a deal i can't go back on it or do you think he really wants to go to detroit Dot, dot, dot. Anybody. Maybe he's big into the bad boys. Uh, maybe Joe Dumars was his favorite player growing up. No, he's like. I think Woj, Woj tweeted that he and Troy Weaver, the GM, are both from the D.C. area. So that was they had a bond. It's like, I don't know if that's how it works, Woj, but maybe. I don't know. Well, you'd think that his uncle, you know, played on those, uh, you know, early 90s teams. You wouldn't want to go to Detroit. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, I suppose. <laughs> I have to admit, you know, I made this joke in a previous podcast, but when I hear the lawyer's analysis of the Clipper situation and accountant's analysis, <clears throat> I feel like since I'm a counselor by trade, I'm supposed to analyze Doc Rivers, psychoanalyze Doc Rivers coaching both his son-in-law and his daughter's <laughs> ex-boyfriend. I feel like that, that's the angle I'm supposed to take here. And his, son. Have, and his son. And his son. Yes. But I feel like it's uh, it's too much of a Freudian mess right now, so I'm not going to delve into that. Oh, There's, man. 
there's a lot to, to pick on that. Well, and, and I and I think the other part with Detroit is that we're again go back into the lawyer and accounting speak for a quick second is that, you know, I, I just think there's sort of a checkers and chess thing going on where these rules are complicated. Like the the the, the league is run by lawyers. It's a lawyer's league. They have a legal document, the collective bargaining agreement, which all unions, I think unions typically have, right, with their employers, if you have a union. But this guides, like, all of the parts of how the system works. And as Michael mentioned, it's like, you, excuse me, have these rules, and then you have exceptions to these rules, and exceptions to the exceptions, and you can do this, and you can do that, and it's heavily negotiated every time they do a new CBA. Um, and I think the people who really understand and grasp that and sort of engage with that, it does give them an advantage. And you and you see again with this new GM for Detroit, Troy Weaver, who's been with Sam Presti for years in Oklahoma City, you know, and, and Sam Presti is someone who manipulates the system as best as anyone. And, you know, to, to do some of the moves that they've done, I mean, they're bringing in players. You can, you can, I mean, Mason Plumley, you know, come on, but you can, some of the other moves they made, Jeremy Grant's a nice player, overpaid potentially. But again, whatever you want to say about the substance, the way they've done it, where they've, it's it, what, what's being reported is that they brought all these higher paid players in and then they're cutting a couple players and stretching out their salary cap hit. So it doesn't just happen this year. They can spread it out so they can spend more money this year and get more players is just, you know, is one of the most like clearly wrongheaded moves you can make and no, you know, highly engaged, highly capable front office ever does it. Like they just, don't do it. They find another way to deal with the problem. They even will give away a draft pick. Like you just don't want to chip away at your salary cap in the out years, especially, you know, in a world where, you know, we don't know what the salary cap is going to be like in the future. So again, I know we're going to have in the salary cap talk, but I think that is just a surprising thing that someone would do that. If they've been in the NBA for so long, worked with a very progressive franchise with Presti in Oklahoma city and still, you know, make something that's a, it's just very uncommon to do, and I and is is generally really um, something you try to avoid. You know, I, 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 yeah, and just transitioning from the Pistons, you know, I, I do think it it has been a, a a really just crazy night to me in terms of as we're seeing these deals come in, is how much you know the teams are spending. I have to say, I was surprised by that. I think. Part of it is that they did get the agreement with the players to have a relatively higher amount of money held back um, in escrow from the players. Because I'm going back into the lawyer and accounting speak for a second. But they, they know they have that so they can spend more because, you know, really it's not the full amount of money they're going to get. There's going to be a portion of it held back and probably kept by the teams. Um, but I think they're they I think it's clear that the teams at least that are spending are, you know, sort of counting on twenty one twenty two being a full season with full revenue, including fans, and that the vaccines that are coming will probably go to NBA teams <laughs> right along with the hospital <laughs> workers that are saving all of our lives. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> priorities, priorities in our in our country, uh, and um, that they will be going, but then also that the rest of us will be getting vaccines by you know next summer and you know full spring, stadiums. summer, fall, and there'll be full stadiums and they'll have all that money back because you know you wouldn't be committed. 
Yeah, right. Well, no, but they're going to try to do it. And even I mean, Joe Lacob, you know, is an interesting guy. He's he's tried to get San Francisco to support him actually having um, 10,000 fans come. And he could do, you know, it's sort of I think it's PCR testing, but rapid PCR testing. He had a whole plan for it and they've rejected it, you know, which is light years. Yeah, it's un- light years plan, but it's unsurprising. But I think that they're assuming and it's it's a pretty big assumption because I mean, part of me wonders when you see how bad things are getting right now, you know, how are they going to do the season in a month without a bubble approach of some type? I mean, it's it's getting from bad to worse right now. And again, it's the rollout of this, these vaccines is going to take time. And, you know, again, it'll be faster for the teams. So I just think it's really interesting how much everyone's counting on things to bounce back. And I, and I do wonder if even the movement on the vaccines the last like the NBA is tracking all this stuff. Right. They have the data before any of us. They, they know they probably are following these trials. They've invested in some of these trials. They're totally plugged in. And I think Adam Silver New and I think that part of the tell was when they agreed to what I thought was a relatively low escrow amount cap going forward, which you know I think they're only going to keep it's between ten and twenty percent, so it's still more than before, but it's it's still locked in for the next couple of years. That he strongly believes that things are going to come back completely. So I think it's just again I was surprised when you see. I mean I know Joe Harris was going to get paid Bertans, but they're still getting like. You know, Harris got 475, Berton's got 580. Again, even as there's inflation in the league and the cap has gone up over the last few years, those are still like big numbers for supporting players. And so, yeah, what do you Bob, think, Dave? Bob Iger's got to keep the Disney Complex bubble open, right? Don't, we need ready. A, we need a backup plan. No, don't let anybody in there. I know it's. Uh, it's a it's a real thing. So I, I just think they have a lot of confidence because of the insider knowledge they have about where we're really at with things. But the next few months are going to be tricky. And again, doing indoors and seeing how the college teams that have gotten started trying to target starting around Thanksgiving and into December. I mean, you, the Utah basketball team just stopped completely. You know, Patino, speaking of Patino, he came out and said they should do Made Madness and they should delay starting as well. So, again, we're talking about an indoor sport with a lot of interaction between players. And even if you limit down the amount of people involved, it's still a lot of people, relatively speaking, in a relatively small indoor space. So it's not like baseball. It's not like football. And so we've talked about it. Like, you're going to get – if a team gets hit, you can't really, like, keep playing – with a bunch of, you know, lower level, like you can't have like 30 man G league rosters. I I just, I'm just really curious actually how they think this is going to work between now and the vaccines. So we'll see. Silver, Silver, Adam Silver is helping to fast track the vaccine. I think he's playing a major role behind the scenes. I don't think we'd have a vaccine if it wasn't for Silver. It was all Silver. Yeah. (laughs) Silver, Silver's going to win the Nobel prize. (laughs) Which he doesn't care about. He just wants to save the league. Exactly. Yep. Well, D, what did you think? What did you think about some of these blazer moves? I know a few have rolled in even tonight, you know, where we have the trade for Canto. Obviously, we talked a little bit earlier in our, on our first podcast about, you know, the trades they made, uh, the trade they made with Houston. Then you have the Cantor trade. You have Jones from Miami coming in. You, they re signed Hood at a higher number. 
you know, what do you think of that mix they have now? I mean, at least they have a couple guys between the between six feet and seven feet. So that's a start. <laughs> you know, Cantor is sentimental for us because I, I know wherever he's been, he has those games where he gets like 20 rebounds and 20 points. And then just slowly over time, all of a sudden, he's just coming off the bench and only playing 10 minutes. But the guy played with us in the playoffs with a separated shoulder he, he, he gave us his heart and soul, did his, did his best to try to guard the Joker, and we made it to the conference finals. So there's a sentimental part. But, you know, we're, we're a bit short as far as backups in that area. I mean, I don't know what's going on um, with, uh, with Whiteside, what that situation is, if he's back at all. But, <laughs> but Gander's a nice guy to have there. Please no. Uh, he's not going to bring a ton of value. But Hood is interesting. I mean, with – Covington and Hood, and I don't know. Also, don't know the Carmelo situation. It's a lot of small forward. I guess we play we play Carmelo at the power forward as well. But you know, having depth, it's uh, if you have problems, that's a problem you want to have. I like Jones. I like his athleticism. Every time I've seen him, even playing short stints, he's he's impressed me. So I like. I think he could could uh, carve out a role too. So. I like it. I really like Covington. Uh, he's uh, uh, an upgrade from, obviously I've taken some shots at Ariza, but uh, he, he's an upgrade and a much younger version of Ariza too. So, so I like doesn't him. have any custody battles. West, easy. No problem. Favorites. <laughs> he's cleared. Yeah. Have they cleared any custody battles? <laughs> Make sure they do uh, their background. You know, I, I, I think it's just good that they have more guys who can guard good wings, right? Like you need guys, you need a, you need a couple guys you can throw at the Clippers wings at LeBron at Doncic. You, you just, you need guys that can, you know, even if they're not necessarily, you know, the most effective, like in Jones's case, he has, definite holes offensively um, and his shooting ability limits his ability to play. But again, you're putting these guys with two great shooters and you can kind of, you know, you can work with that and you, you know, they're going to get, he's going to get a lot of corner threes, right? I mean, Covington too, like just like Amino used to get him, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, Amino just sitting in that corner, man. And, you know, Lillard and, Yikes. you know, the car will come off and just, you know, rip, rip him in the corner. So I, I like the moves too. What did you think, Michael? I think it's, you know, I think if I, I, uh, if I analyze all the moves that teams are making collectively, I think the Blazers are up there in terms of the, the, what I like to call my all envy team. It's, uh, a premise a bit that we've started here, uh, at the three and D love NBA podcast where, uh, Ryan and I are actually, uh, NBA orphans. We, we grew up as fans of the Seattle supersonics. And as a result of uh, the hijacking that occurred in 2008, we are no longer uh, with a team. So uh, we are certainly NBA fans, and, and we've sort of been adopted by the Blazers, having grown up for parts of our life in Portland. So uh, go Blazers. But uh, even more than that, I think when I look at the NBA landscape, I often think about, hey, where would I want to be a fan of that team? I'll tell you, the bottom of the list is the Washington Wizards. Uh, I actually, as of this week, it's actually the Milwaukee Bucks has fallen to the bottom of the list. Um and, and I would say, I, I think one of the things I really loved about the moves the Blazers have made and that has put them at the top of the list that's made me really happy is they have a roster now that feels coherent, that feels capable. I think Hood coming back is a big deal in terms of sort of punch scoring off the bench. Uh, 
the Roco trade where they're not giving up a lot of future assets to acquire a player who can play 35 minutes a game and fills that sort of wing role that was pretty vacant uh, with Amino and Harkless leaving is uh, are, are really nice moves. And then you have guys like Trent and even Simon's coming along that potentially can fill some of these bigger roles. Collins also, if he can ever stay healthy, uh, and also can function as assets if there's ever a bigger move to be made. I mean, I think the interesting thing is they have eight to 10 legitimate NBA players, uh, and coupling a few of these players with some future picks does create some true kind of asset acquisition capabilities for the Blazers to go make a move. Because, I mean, obviously they're never going to be major players in terms of legitimate talent in free agency, but to have the type of young players and the type of draft capital that they currently have, they can go get somebody if it sort of makes sense and go make a play there. And, and that to me is sort of what is owed in large part to Lillard particularly going into this last couple of years of his career where he is going to continue to play at that top seven type of player. I mean, that's not going to last forever. So they got to make a run sooner rather than later. Top, so I, top I, seven, top seven. Ooh, uh, that's, Ooh. A, that's a precise. Wow. Maybe nine. I don't know. I'm backing off that. That's a, that's a Brian Peter Meyer shout out right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say an, another team I, I've, uh, I was, Love their moves. I think the Lakers underratedly have made a couple of really nice moves in terms of uh, positioning themselves to defend their title. I think when you couple it with the moves that have been made further in the West, uh, the the hits that Denver has taken, uh, the, the unrest with the Clippers, Clay getting hurt in Golden State. I mean, you have oh, a number yeah, of man. challenges Sad. that – the Lakers are kind of going to be the going away favorite, I think, going into the year again, regardless of a shortened season, regardless of when LeBron comes back, um, and and so that. Well, that and I, and I think getting I think getting West Matthews. I mean, to your point with the Lakers, I, I think West Matthews is a nice pickup for them, and I think he does a lot of what Danny Green was going to do for them, right? And I think he's actually more, and he is like he is tough. I mean, you saw him, you know when he he didn't play as much as he could have in, in uh, the Miami series from Milwaukee but he and, and partly because they go way back him and Jimmy playing at Marquette together but he definitely like he is physical he is a physical defender at the wing he's not as as athletic as he was obviously before the injury or back when he was in Portland but he's he's a nice pickup for them I like that Well, I am oh. I am not an adopted Blazer son. I am a, a true son, which I, I sense a little bit of resentment from both of you guys for that. But um, <laughs> but if I were if I were to to have to embrace another team in terms of looking at what's an exciting team where you'd want to jump on the bandwagon, uh, for me it was the New Orleans Pelicans. I really like I like that young collection of talent. Uh, love Zion. He's a he's a freak of nature, and uh, I, I I love his all around game. I, as we've always talked about, and as as I reference now, I think in every podcast that I I believe in Stan Van Gundy. I think he's going to work out there. Going to keep saying that. Do you, do you think, do you love? Do you think Stan knew when he took the job that David Griffin was going to trade Holiday and let Favors go? Because I gotta say, when I his favorite sign with back with Utah tonight, 
They also signed Clarkson. I mean, Clarkson got a four-year, $52 million contract. It's like they're – again, it seems like the thing you want to avoid in the NBA is paying non-stars big money yeah. until you're in, like, the Clippers situation, like we were talking about, where they actually have to pay their role players a lot of money to, to keep them because they can't replace them otherwise. So it's just a strange thing. But do you think Van Gundy knew that was part of the deal? Because I just wonder if he was just like, you got to leave me Redick. you got to leave me J.J. Don't take J.J. from me. Don't take JJ because he's the only one, he's the only veteran left, right? I mean, they got Bledsoe and other guys in the trade, George Hill, but I, I don't know. Like, what do you think his take is on where they're at? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, if I uh, getting into the mind of Stan Van Gundy, I, you know, that's that's a hard thing to do. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe he really believes in in Lonzo that it was time to fully turn the the reins over to Lonzo, um, but. I am wondering, yeah, I stand somewhere right now saying, no, 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 this is not what I signed up for. I just wonder, because he, he, and it's like, I mean, again, he's not running the show, but if he was in Detroit, these were not the moves he would have made. <laughs> if he was like the GM, like he was in Detroit, he wouldn't have made these moves, I don't think. Well, I think he demanded yeah. to be the GM coming in, and he said, what's my, what's your three-year plan? And he's like, Jaleel Okafor, 335. <laughs> He'll back up Zion. Right. It'll be perfect. Stan's actually still in charge of the Pistons, which explains a lot of tonight. Um, I would say the team, I think Michael mentioned, the team that I would go, the team I would not want to be a fan of, and that's actually in the city I reside in, is the Wizards. And I think it is, you know, as I think some have noted on Twitter tonight, the new, with the news of John Wall requesting a trade, you know, is about the most NBA thing that could ever happen, is a guy who, you know, had a horrible injury and then in kind of, not fully engaging his recovery, it seems like. Got another horrible injury. <laughs> and has been out for, what, a year and a half or something and still out. And What I know, heard is that the whole team requested a trade, but only John John Wall got the attention. <laughs> well, the, the, it's just so crazy because, like, Beal resigns and, and he's engaged to a certain degree. But you're right. When's his, when's his request going to come? Because – you know, what What does Wall mean? Oh, you, you put me out there for Westbrook. You have the least tradable contract in the NBA. You're the most undesirable player in the NBA right now because of your contract and your injury and how you played. I mean, I think, you know, Andrew Sharp pointed out on Twitter that he struggled that year before he got hurt, too. It wasn't like he was just like prime Wall. So it's just it's a it's just a discouraging place to be because, again, they give Bertans 580. You know, they got the kid from Israel who people seem to like. It's an interesting prospect. They have a couple young guys, but they're more – like I like – I think Hochimura from Gonzaga is a nice player, I think, and I, I'd like to see him get more run, and he seems pretty good. But, again, it's it's marginal guys, and it does feel like that we're just waiting for Beal to get traded eventually. Um, and they're saying that it won't happen. They're not going to trade him. And I, I actually think that's true. Like, Leonsis and Tommy Shepard are not going to trade him unless – Beals like trade me and I think to your point D like it, <laughs> that seems like it's gonna come sooner rather than later now a few teams I get concerned about through the day today uh one uh may not surprise you you referenced this earlier Ryan the Utah Jazz I think running back Clarkson uh and then really running back favors uh this is a team that Loses in the first round, blows a 3-1 lead, obviously has uh, some real capabilities with Mitchell and Gobert, but building – and a lot of interesting players around them with Bogdanovich, uh, the, the the OG Bogdanovich, 
uh, Ingles, Conley, right? They have, some, they have some interesting players, but obviously have had some challenges getting over the hump in the playoffs. Uh, that's a team for me that uh, I, I find it a little curious when you trade midseason for a guy like Jordan Clarkson and he decide he averages 16 a game and that you got to give him 455 or whatever it ends up coming in at. Uh, that to me is a, is a suspect move. Now the other team may be a little more surprising. That gives me some concern. The Miami heat I'm concerned are having a redux of the 2016 free agency season <laughs> where they have some unexpected success in the season right before free agency and find themselves uh, paying for culture, for continuity, for consistency in giving two years and $20 million to Myers Leonard re-signing uh, Drogic with a foot injury and the sort of aging years of his career. Uh, I, I don't know, guys. I find myself wondering if Miami Heat's final appearance is a bit of an anomaly heading into uh, the bubble and and the unique stretch of the NBA season, which that was. And coming into this year, do they have some false confidence based on uh, that aberration? Uh, what do you guys think? Can you repeat the Byers Leonard deal, Michael? Two for 20. Oddly enough, Derek Jones Jr., Myers Leonard, and Montrez Harrell all got the same deal. So strike me as a little confused about how the NBA works sometimes. Yeah, I, I had trouble listening to everything you said after the Myers, but I just want to make sure I heard you right on uh, on the actual deal. Is it a one-year? The only thing with with, um, with Myers, I know Dragic his contract is two years, but it's a, it's a team option for year two. I haven't been able to see if Myers Leonard is a team option. You know, I, I, it's, it seems like they wouldn't. I think it's also a team option okay. uh, was what I saw. So obviously so it's really a 10, I mean, it, but it's still really a nine or $10 million one year deal. And it's, you know, I, I was, I'm still surprised by that. You know, I mean, I think you give Dragic the, you know, you give Dragic because again it's just they can't the salary cap like it, it i think it's the same dynamic with morris it, it just you can't if you're willing to spend as an owner and go over the cap and potentially even go in the luxury tax you can't go get a guy to replace the guy that you have um the other thing i read though is that jimmy butler wanted both guys back <laughs> before, jack That's haley jack jack haley is before his time for the youngsters out there, he was he, maybe if you saw the last dance, you saw him a little bit in there. He was Dennis Rodman's running running mate, and uh, he was probably one of the worst players in the league. But he lasted a long time actually in the league, in part because he was Dennis Rodman's buddy, and it was a guy to kind of keep an eye on him, quote unquote. So I think if you befriend Jimmy Butler, he's going to take care of you, and you're going to be. Yeah, there I don't forever. know how I don't know how you value being a good teammate or working hard in practice or being a good cheerleader on the bench, but I know it's not twenty million dollars. <laughs> well, and they're yeah. clearly structuring these deals, I think, in preparation for Giannis' departure next summer. Uh, I mean, Miami and, and Dallas are rumored to sort of have the pole positions if he does choose to forego the Supermax, if he does choose to, to leave Milwaukee, which, you know, three three nights ago, I think everyone assumed he was resigning. And after uh, the buffoonery that has occurred, the tampering that you may or may not feel is, is uh, warranted, it sure seems like a decent opportunity. So, uh, you know, I think Miami is, is um, they are keeping their powder dry, but again, that, those are two curious deals to me uh, it, just at the volume that they come in at. Um, 
How are you feeling about the Warriors, Michael, with the, uh, I guess, Kelly Obrey trade? You know, they added a wing. Seems like they're waiting for, you know, some lower cost signs come available as things play out here at free agency. Obviously, the Clay news is devastating. To miss two years of your career like that is just, you know. Yeah, shout out to Clay. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best, and it's just such a bummer. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, Michael, maybe start with you. What do you think about Golden State, where they're at? I mean, I saw something where, again, going back to our our legal accounting geekery, but because they're in the luxury tax and where they're at, the the you know the amount of salary they came on for Ubre, maybe fifteen million, eighteen million, or something, is like they're paying like four times that in luxury tax. So it's basically they're paying they're paying him like the equivalent of like ninety million dollars to have him on their team. Um, so much respect for them to spend that money, but where do they go from here? Well, I don't think they have a lot of options in terms of where they go from here. I think for this current season, I think they're clearly making a, a, a good call to try at it. I think their Ubre acquisition into this uh, trade exception, which they generated when they traded Iguodala last year, I think is you have to use it. I think for a team where they're at, uh, you spoke earlier about getting salary on your roster to generate opportunities to to acquire players. They clearly are going to have some assets going forward. They have the Minnesota pick for next summer and and having uh, contracts available to your use to sort of stack together to go get that next guy um, is super valuable. And so I think you have to make a play when you have a player like Steph. Uh, uh, if you guys listen long enough to me, you're going to know I'm a, I'm a true Steph believer. I think uh Steph Curry can probably resurrect Andrew Wiggins' career because I think he's that good of a player. He's that level of uh, offensive creator and, and dynamic um, kind of player in terms of setting up other guys for success. So uh, I, I think they can be a competitive team. I think they're by no means in the title conversation. Uh, I I think Draymond probably is the guy who has the most concern for me heading into the year. Exactly. Uh, I think a guy like that we never thought would age well. And uh, I'm convinced that these older guys, and not that he's particularly old, but when you start to slow down, it's hard to ramp it back up. It's like, you know, it's like Kobe with the Achilles. It's if LeBron ever gets hurt, it's like they're not going to ever go back to what they were. There's no returning to it. You just got to keep, got to keep moving. It's when you sprain your ankle, you don't want to, you don't want to let it get cold. Uh, and I think, metaphorically Draymond let his body get cold last year. So that gives me a little bit of concern, but getting Ubre is interesting. I mean, it, it makes him scrappy. It makes him a fighter in the West and, and obviously sets them up to potentially do something bigger going forward. I mean, if Minnesota falls on its face and is in that mid single digits draft range, even projected around the deadline, I mean, there's some real stuff that could happen uh, with that type of collateral and future picks and a few of these contracts. Yeah, I don't think uh, Golden State wants to go through what they went through last year. It, it wasn't worth the number two pick. Everything they went through, I don't know. It was injury related, obviously. But James Wiseman, baby, you got James Wiseman for that. Like, I don't know. Literally the worst year to do it. Hopefully, hope I'm hoping for their sake it was worth it. But I agree. It's, it's but I feel like Ubre helps keep them with the roster they have. They're that one major injury, probably from going back underwater again and, and Ubre helps keep them above water and yeah i don't think it's enough to put them in the upper echelon of of west teams but 
but they'll be an intriguing team. That's that's a still a good core of players. I, I think Wiggins actually had a, did pretty well when he joined them last year. Ubre is really um, coming on again. Yeah, probably not worth the equivalent of ninety million, but <laughs> still a pretty solid core. Yeah, and I and I and I do think Draymond is the key. And I think you know again, Michael's it's been predicted that he would slow down at this phase of his career. I mean, I, I would say, though, it was a couple of years ago that he, he somehow lost, like, 25 pounds, like, during the middle part of the season <laughs> heading into the playoffs. So he uh, he's let himself go before and come back. But it was interesting. Like, he's supposedly the most, like, competitive, fiery leader, you know, ever. And then last year he just gave up, basically. <laughs> and he was just like, this sucks. I didn't sign up to play with these these uh, these scrubs. What am, what am I doing? So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, how he – comes back just having Steph really to play off of. Um, and Kerr will have to play them differently too without getting Clay back. I mean, they're going to have to run. I mean, to Michael's point, like Steph will have to be sort of like a Doncic offense. It'll have to be like he creates and gives them a top five, top ten offense by himself because he's so good. And that was one thing that was exciting about last year, even with all the injuries going to that and losing Durant, was – it would have been fun to see Steph. It's going to be fun to see Steph, for me at least, to see what he can do like a man down. And yeah. I'm with Michael. I'm bullish on it. I, I think yeah. put him in spread pick and roll with Wiseman. Put him, you know, obviously Wiggins. The problem is Wiggins can't shoot and, you know, you know Oubre, you know, it's, it's like Draymond. So he's going to have to do a lot. But I, I think it, he is – he can be put in that position and it'll be fun to see what he can do. Now, going forward, it's, I think it's interesting. A lot of obviously a lot of uh, contracts have been discussed and, and, and sort of solidified, I think, here going into the weekend. There are a few shoes to drop. I think you have Hayward opting out of Boston. Uh, rumor has it he's looking to sign and trade into Indiana, which has its own complications. Uh, Ibaka is out there, and Fred Van Vliet, obviously, is, oh, you're right, Van considered Vliet. to be one of the. Uh, premier guards in this free agent class, which if that says anything about the free agent class, then I don't know what does. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, those those ones are, I think are interesting. I think um, my assessment of the situation seems to be Abaka could really be a mover and shaker in terms of title conversations. I think rumor has it he may be considering Brooklyn, which uh, would have some title implications. I think Van Vliet's an interesting one to me because I think the teams he's rumored around, the teams that are going to have the the money, the 480 type of contract available for a player of his caliber are the teams that aren't good. Uh, Atlanta or Detroit or a few of those teams. Detroit now uh, is kind of out of the running with some of their choices. But um, Van Vliet's an interesting one because he could just go back to Toronto depending on the deal that's available to him. Um and Hayward, obviously, going to Indiana is not all that relevant to any sort of, I mean, no offense to the Pacers fans, but uh, doesn't exactly move the needle for me. Any, anything else kind of shoot a drop that's particularly of interest to you guys? Well, that's a great point, though, about Van Vliet and Ibaka, because I, I had totally forgotten about Van Vliet, who's really good. But I think to Michael's point, it's telling about the strength or lack thereof of the free agent class. But it seems like if there's no movement immediately with either one of those guys, it seems like, and again, I haven't seen any reporting on it, um, but it seems like you know Van Vliet at least is probably heading back there, right? Because the people who have room have been using it. And I think the key thing for 
Toronto is how can they get both those guys to come back and still have their powder ready for Giannis? Because I think it's like them, Dallas, Miami are considered the three potential you know destinations for him. And maybe it's a stretch for Toronto. The other the other part of Toronto is, did you see the news that they're going to be playing in Florida this year? I mean, that is that is crazy. They're going to be in Florida all year. I mean, they already basically did it last year. They went, they were the first ones down prior to the bubble. So they're going to have their own bubble. I mean, that, I mean, and Toronto just went on a 28 day lockdown. I mean, it seems like, you know, those are their neighbors to the South, maybe heading that direction too, with everything going on, unfortunately. But that is, I mean, that's a huge huge thing i mean the baseball team i think moved into just ac- just across the falls there into buffalo but you know the blue jays moved into there for the season this last year but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out certainly does and i think one last guy i did miss i think that's again on that raptors contingent is gasol is a is a, is a presumed title chaser so he's one that uh may have a little left in the tank in terms of landing with some of these franchises that are kind of on the fringe of being competitive. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this continues to shake out. Whenever I think of Toronto, I just, I just think of how many consecutive titles they may have won if Kawhi would have uh, stuck around and they could have kept some of these other pieces. Oh, they were, they were so good. <laughs> yeah. They were so good this year without yeah. him in the bubble. And they were just, so and you were, that was the one I mean, they literally were like the perfect team for him. And there was the one thing they were missing was a guy that could just do what he did. And obviously he's one of the best in many areas and all around as a top five player, but yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. It, it is a bummer um, that he, he chose to leave. It'd been fun to see them keep fighting and keep challenging. Cause they're just a fun team to watch even without him. Should we bring it home with some trivia, guys? Let's bring it home. Let's do it. Ready. Okay, as usual, we are going to have four choices for our trivia, a la Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This, uh, as I joked about Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard and free throw percentage, that triggered me to come up with this topic, which is what player has the highest free throw percentage history of the NBA. And as usual, I'll note that we are cutting off. It doesn't matter in this one because nobody from the sixties before that and the cutoff date uh, is applicable here. So the four choices are A, Steve Nash, B, Mark Price, C, Steph Curry, or D, Pages Dyakovich. And let me just, I'm gonna go with Curry. I'm going to go with Mark Price. I, if I, yeah, and this is going back in the deep in the memory banks, but I, I think he had some record, you know, one of the higher levels of consecutive free throws at one point. So I'll go with Mark Price. Good guesses. Uh, sorry, you are correct, Michael. It is Steph Curry. So Ryan, I think Pr- Price was the leader for a long time, but then Nash overtook him, and then Curry oh Nash, and then Curry. Oh. Yeah, and then Curry overtook you Nash. I think it's only twice. by a small percentage that Curry is number one over Nash, but you are correct. The order is Curry, Nash, Price, and Stojakovich. Michael, two in a row, two and zero, oh. two and zero. Oh. We need one of those leaderboards, those corny leaderboards that the NFL pregame yes. shows have. Like, hey, I'm two and eight, but I'm going to get them this week. <laughs> we should make it a competition. And to note, last week, or excuse me, two days ago, 
Michael first pod. Yeah. Get the correct answer, but we gave him the equivalent of points for getting the correct answer because he correctly 51. guessed the number of North Carolina players that had been drafted in the first round, which was 51, which far outweighed that fact that Kentucky was actually the right choice. But we gave you full credit for that. I, well, I, appreci- I appreciate Don't that. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man.